Hello. Thank you for listening to the sermon from our Revive service. We hope it helps you learn more about God and allows you to grow closer to Him and in your faith. Well, good morning. Good to see each of you here. Thanks for joining with us. Those who are physically here, so glad that you're here. Those who are joining online, thanks for joining us. Um, I was reading something last week um, about corporate worship, and uh, I felt it this morning, sensed it this morning. Corporate worship does something. What it does is when we gather together and we come and worship God, it moves us from a self-centeredness to having a thankful heart that is focused on the Lord. And I don't know about you, but it's hard because you live all week and you're, you're in the word. I, I trust you're in the word. You're spending your first 20 with the Lord um, or your last 20 or your mid 20 or I wish I was in my 20s. But um, you're spending some time with the Lord, but it's still, it's still hard because we live in a world that wants to mold us and to shape us and to conform us into their image. But the word says, do not let the world conform you. Be conformed in the image of Jesus. And when we gather to worship and we gather to sing, there's something that God uses in that worship in the very realness of being able to sing song um, and and. And that changes us and it moves our heart and our focus from a self-centeredness to a God thankfulness. And so um, just thought I would share that and encourage you. Um, it, it's awesome to join together to worship. We have been given this great privilege and great freedom. And it's an encouragement to me um, to see each of you and uh, thankful for each of you. Thankful for those who are joining online and uh, for the opportunity to to worship, and, and we're going to dig into the Word. So if you have your Bibles, if you would, turn to the book of Acts. Um, and so Acts chapter 9 is where we are as we unpack uh, the book of Acts. We want to continue to do that, and we're going to, we're going to kind of walk through Acts chapter 9 and verses 20 through 31. And as we do that, I'm going to reference uh, quite a few different scriptures, um, and they'll be up on the, the screen as well for you so that you can kind of follow along, and it'll be harder for you to flip. Not that I'm discouraging you from flipping in your Bible, but um, it'll be up there so you can follow along. Excited to dig into the text this morning and, uh, and then to be able to say, okay, how can we take this um, truth, the word of God, and then apply it to our lives. So let's read it together. Acts chapter 9, we'll start in verse 20. Uh, we'll read and then we'll have a word of prayer and then we'll ask the Lord for, um, for guidance as we apply it to our life. So Acts chapter 9, verse 20, it'll be up on the, on the screen behind me as well. And immediately he proclaimed Jesus. Who's the he here? Let me stop before I go too far. For context. Context tells us this is Saul, all right? Saul, who's been persecuting the church, who now Jesus has come to him and appeared to him uh, and has changed his life. He has gone from a devout Jew to um, persecuting the church and persecuting those who would follow the way, the way meaning those who were trusting Jesus as the Messiah, as the Christ. And so there's a movement away from um, um, the Jewish culture that Christ has brought and those who oppose that were 
persecuting the church. And we saw earlier in the book of Acts, those who were believers of Christ as the Messiah um, were being persecuted. Stephen ultimately lost his life. And when Stephen was killed, there was, they dispersed. And so those who were believers moved around. They moved out of Jerusalem into other parts of the, the, the area there. And Saul was going out to round up more of those who were not um, being loyal to the devout Jewish way. Instead, they were following the way, Jesus. And so he went out to Damascus. He had orders from the Jewish leaders uh, in Jerusalem to go and to bind them and to bring them back and so that they could be held on trial. In the midst of that, Saul has a real encounter with the living Jesus his life is changed. He, he trusts Jesus as the way um, and, and as his savior. Um, we see that, that the Holy Spirit comes upon him. He is baptized. And so Ananias is there and, and, and has given some direction there for Saul. But now that's where we pick it up in verse 20. And so Saul, it says, Luke tells us, and immediately he became he, he began to proclaim Jesus. And he began to doing that in the synagogue, saying he is the son of God. So continue with me. Thanks for letting me give you a background. Verse 21, and all who heard him were amazed and said, is this not the man who, ha- who would made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon this name? And has he not come here for this purpose? to bring them bound before the chief priest. But Saul increased all the more in strength, and he confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. When many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him, but their plot became known to Saul, and they were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him. But his disciples took him by night and let him down through an opening on the wall, lowering him in a basket. And when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples, and they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord, who spoke to him, and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So he went in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. And he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists, But they were seeking to kill him. And when the brothers learned this, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. Will you pray with me? Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for the opportunity to dig in this morning. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us to be able to take this truth And Lord, that it would change our hearts, it would come into our minds, and Lord, we would live differently because of the truth of your word. Lord, we all come today from from different things that have happened uh, in our past, and where we are now seated, Lord, there's a lot on our minds. And Lord, I just pray that you would wipe that, help us to set those to the side, so that we may hear from you. And I pray that your spirit would do a mighty work in this place today. Help us to take your truth and not just be hearers of the word, but to be doers of the word as well. 
And we pray this in the precious name of our Savior, Jesus the Christ. Amen. So I've already given you the background. Here's Saul. He immediately goes out. And in verse 20, uh, Dr. Luke, who's writing this for us, um, uses that word immediately. He's, this is the second time that he's used it. He used it in verse 18 when the scales fall from Saul's eyes. Immediately they fall from his eyes. Now, immediately when he eats food and is strengthened, he goes out and he starts preaching. And Dr. Luke tells us very specifically what he's preaching. Who's he preaching? He's preaching who? Jesus. All right? That's our focus. That should be our focus just as it was Saul. And so as Saul was preaching, he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogues. Now, interesting, again, just a little note here, the synagogues is a plural. And so there are probably multiple synagogues in Damascus where Paul or Saul is rotating and, and making sure that he shares Jesus with them. And so as he's doing this, he's proclaiming a certain phrase that Dr. Luke records for us which we could easily look past, but I don't want us to miss it today. And so he says this, he's proclaiming in the synagogues, um, he is the son of God, that Jesus is the son of God. Now, what's interesting is um, when we go back, we look at the book of John and in John chapter 11, verse 27 um, says this, um, it talks about this, let me give you context. The context is, here's Mary and Martha. Their brother Lazarus has just died, all right? And Martha runs out to meet Jesus as he's on the way and says to him, if you were only here, my brother would not have died. And Jesus ultimately tells Martha, Lazarus is not dead. He's going to rise from the dead. I will heal him. And he asks her, who do you believe that I am? And this is her response. She says to him, yes, Lord, I believe. Because he says, do you believe that I will heal him? Do you, what do you believe? And she says this, that you are the Christ, the son of God who is coming into this world. There's probably no more powerful statement to be said of who Jesus is than the son of God. He is the son of man and he is the son of God, meaning he came as a man, was born of a virgin, of a human flesh, but the spirit of God indwelt Mary. And so he had the ability that he was perfect. The sin nature that was carried down that we have from Adam and Eve passed down to us. That first Adam was, we have that sinful nature. That's why you don't have to teach children um, to cry or to um, lie, to say no, all those fun things that we as parents get to deal with and walk through with our children. That's because each of us are born with a sin heart condition. Jesus didn't have that because he was fully God. And in that, he, he left um, the right hand of the Father and he humbled himself and he was obedient even even coming as a man, and he was obedient even to the point of death, and that death being upon a cross. And so Jesus, being fully man, but he is fully God. He is the son of God, meaning he is God. And so that's part of why Stephen was stoned, because he equated Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah, being God. 
And so when we look at this as Paul, as Saul, um, I apologize if I call him Paul, he's the same man, all right? The name hasn't changed yet, but he's Saul, Saul, Paul. Um, as Saul's preaching this, he's making it extremely clear this is something that has changed in his life. He goes from trusting the customs that he grew up in a family was, that was extremely devout in their customs and their rules to, hey, this is real. Jesus is the Christ. He is the Son of God. And so in that proclamation, uh, we see there are people who are amazed to hear this. It was quite the transformation. And I challenged us last week to be careful as we look and as we judge people um, because God can do that same transformation in other people's lives too. And people that we may want to write off, we shouldn't because God can do a great work in them. So verse 21 says, And all who heard him were amazed and said, Is this not the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon his name? And has he not come here for this purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priests? Again, it's a review. Dr. Luke gives us the insight. The Christians that are here in Damascus are, are questioning, saying, this, there's something not, not together here. The pieces aren't fitting. This guy came and we knew he was coming. They had gotten word that he was coming to, to bind Christians and to cause havoc. And ultimately, that's not what he's doing now. Instead, he's preaching Jesus as the Son of God. And so, verse 22 um, is kind of a, a, a transforming. Um, we see Dr. Luke kind of helping us to see Saul, as he has this experience with Jesus, has the scales on his eyes, and as Ananias comes and, and, and prays over him, those scales fall off, but, but Saul hasn't eaten for days, and he is extremely fatigued, so he eats and he's strengthened, but Dr. Luke gives us a little bit more picture here as he says, and Saul increased all the more in strength. And so as Saul continued to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, God gave him more and more strength. I don't know about you, but sometimes when we shy away from sharing Jesus, we can become very weary. But as God strengthens us and as we walk boldly in sharing Jesus, God does strengthen us all the more. We see that example here and we can take heart that God will strengthen us as we step out and share the gospel. So Saul increased in strength and he confounded uh, the Jews. The Jews were perplexed. They didn't understand the Jews who lived in Damascus. And so they were confounded. Um, that proving that Jesus was the Christ. Here was Saul laying it clearly out, and, and I'm sure he walked through, just as we saw before, some Old Testament passages, specifically probably Isaiah, as he goes in these synagogues and shares with them, this is the truth that you've been reading, and Jesus is the fulfillment of that. So we come to verse 23, and it says, when many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. And when you kind of read that, um, you kind of say, oh, okay, so many days. So maybe 20, 30, 40, 60 days. Well, actually, the book of Galatians, Paul helps us to see what happens in his life. And so in Galatians chapter 
um, chapter 1, and I have it up here for you, uh, we get a picture of what is happening during these many days. And so you might want to just circle that many days, and you want to put a little line that says Galatians 1 and verses 17 through 18. So I have verse 15 up here. It says, but when he who had set me apart, this is Saul, Paul talking, when he, Jesus, who had set me apart um, before I was born and who called me by his grace, um, says, I was pleased to reveal his son. He was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him amongst the Gentiles. And I did not immediately consult with anyone, um, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were, the, were apostles before me, but I went away to Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem. So this many days right here is three years. All right? And so that helps us understand um, what's going on in the context. So during these three years, the Jews plotted to kill him. Their plot became known to Saul. They were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him. But his disciples uh, took him by night and led him down through an opening on the wall, lowering him in a basket. Which, again, Scripture tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 32 and 33, um, Saul, Paul, tells us what that was like. And so he says, At Damascus, the governor under King Artas was guarding the city of Damascus in order to seize me. But I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and escaped his hands. What's really cool is, again, when you look at Scripture, here are these different letters that are written in different times, and yet they all gel together. They all come together. And so here Paul has written two different letters, uh, letter to the church in Corinth, letter to the church, the believers in Galatia, and they come together to fit what Dr. Luke has recorded, the history of what has transpired in Saul's life. It's awesome, and it helps us to say, this is truth, this is real, and we can trust it. And so we see um, as Saul escapes the hand of those who want to kill him, verse 26, it says, And when he came to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples. And they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. Now, this probably is not the full range of the disciples here, and we're going to look at that in just a minute, the apostles. The disciples is a term here for those who were followers of Jesus or those who were a part of the way, all right? When we look at the term apostle in just a little bit, those were the 12 uh, specifically that were set apart for the gospel ministry as, as they walked with Jesus. And so those who were the followers of Jesus, who had accepted Jesus as the Christ, when Saul comes to Jerusalem, they're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. We don't believe this. And so Barnabas, who we first saw Barnabas back in Acts chapter 4, verse 36, we see Barnabas as the one who sells his land and gives the proceeds to the, to the, the church. All right? He's the good part compared to um, uh, the, the, the other equation of those who are going to lie and deceive about giving. Barnabas is that picture of what is right and godly. And ultimately, we see him 
called the son of encouragement. His real name's Joseph. His nickname is Barnabas, meaning son of encouragement. And so here, Barnabas, as he's in Jerusalem, he stands up for Saul and he says, whoa, whoa, whoa. You believers, let me tell you something. So Barnabas took him, verse 27, and brought him to the apostles. The apostles who are Peter and James. All right? We know that because of Galatians 1, verses 18 and 19. Galatians 1, 18 and 19 says that, G, that he did not appear to all the apostles, but he appeared, appeared to Cephas, which is Peter, and to James, the brother of Jesus. And so here, Barnabas brings him to Peter, to James, and he declares to them how on the road he had seen the Lord and who spoke to him, and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So not only was there transformation of Jesus of Saul's life, but then there was evidence of that transformation as he boldly proclaimed Jesus. And remember what he was proclaiming? He was proclaiming him as the Son of God. And so there's no, no watering down. It wasn't like, okay, is this really real? Is What is he preaching about Jesus? No, it's the real deal. And, and so Barnabas is giving them an account of what has happened. So verse 28 says, So Saul went in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. And he spoke and he disputed among the Hellenists. And again, those are the Greek-speaking Jews at that time. And so he spoke and he disputed among them. He may probably have also argued a little bit. The term there, the Greek term, doesn't help us really in clear fashion. But, but it could mean that Saul is really getting down deep into the weeds and he's trying to help them to understand, no, you are being deceived. This Jesus is the Christ. And so as he does that, um, they're seeking to kill him there in Jerusalem. So when the brothers learned this, those who were Saul's brothers, sisters, as they're believers, as they hear that, that the Hellenists want to kill him, um, the brothers learned this. They brought him down to Caesarea, and they set him off to Tarsus. That's where he's from. That's his hometown. So now he's going to go to his hometown. Saul's going to go back home. And we're not going to hear from him for a little bit, because Dr. Luke's going to take us on a little journey. He's, he's helped us to see Saul's transformation here, and then he's going to show us Peter and how God's using Peter in the next couple chapters here. It says, so, verse 31, so the church throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and was being built up. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit and multiplied. Here's the application for us. So as the church continues uh, to expand, as we see the account of Jesus continuing to go out and more and more people start to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, we see, Dr. Luke tells us that they are walking in the fear of the Lord. And in the comfort, they're walking in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. So I want to take just a moment and, and look at these two phrases, because that's really the, the, the topic, uh, our title for today's uh, service, uh, and that is to walk in the fear and to walk in the comfort. And so when we look at that, I always go back to Proverbs chapter 9 and verse 10. This is a verse that I learned when I was really young. And, uh, and I, 
as I was young, as a child in the church, uh, it always concerned me that this whole idea of fear. And so part of that was at the point when I trusted Jesus as my Savior. And I remember my Sunday school teacher, Mrs. Massey, uh, when I was four or five years old, she shared the, the gospel story about how Jesus had died on the cross for my sin and that he was buried and that he rose again three days later and that he did that so that we could spend eternity in heaven. And so I remember sitting there in that class and again, don't judge me, okay? Um, Tom and Jerry was a big part of my life back then, all right? And, uh, and so I love Tom and Jerry. I still do. I think it's great. Um, a little violent now. I'd never realized how violent it was back then. But for me, I remember the, the one time that Tom caught Jerry. Tom was a cat chasing a mouse. He caught the mouse, and, and he had this decision. Was he going to finally eat the mouse or what he was going to do? And at that point in the cartoon, he had a little devil on one shoulder which with a pitchfork and a pointing tail and horns. And on the other shoulder was a beautiful angel. All right? It was glowing and had wings. And so as Mrs. Massey is explaining this gospel message, and she said, you can have a place in heaven for you forever, that's where my childlike mind went. And I thought, I don't want to go to hell like that. I don't want to go down there where it's hot and flamey and the guy with the pitchfork. I want heaven. But the other aspect that I remember thinking was I couldn't believe that somebody would die for me. And so that, that gospel presentation um, had a real effect on my heart and my life. And so as I started to grow and understand, and after I trusted Jesus that day as my Savior, I remember uh, the pastor preaching on this passage in, in Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 9, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. If you want to have wisdom, you need to fear the Lord. And I never understood that. I, I understood that as a kid to be that hell and heaven, and I'm fearful of that. Here's how I can best simply put the fear of the Lord. I think the fear of the Lord is respecting in awe that God is sovereign and he is Lord of all. That I and who I am as a human being have no control and power over God. He is in control of all things. And so that awe and that respect and that understanding that, that as we even see in Job, as Job has that encounter, that real encounter and, and discussion with God, that we look and never forget who God is. God is the creator and we are the creation. Sometimes I think I forget that. And when I want to control things or things don't go my way, I lose the fear of the Lord. I lose rightfully placing myself in humble submission to who he is and his authority. And so if we want to be wise, if we want to have wisdom, we will have that fear of the Lord. Not walking around scared that he might strike us with lightning if we do something wrong. No, we're fearful to do something wrong, not because God's love will ever change. We're fearful because 
We don't want to disappoint him. We don't want to miss the opportunities that he has laid before us. Are you walking in the fear of the Lord? Or are you walking in the fear of man? That leads us to this next phrase. Walking in the fear of the Lord, and you can put this almost in your text, and walking, and, and that's the way the structure of, of this is in the Greek, and walking in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. As we walk, it kind of takes me back to um, John chapter 14 and the comforter. As we walk, are we walking in the comfort that God has already given us? And so in John chapter 14, and if you want to turn there, you can. It's a longer passage. I'm going to read. It'll be up on the screen as well. But John chapter 14, I want to read to you verses 15 through 31. Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he has told them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And he's shared with his disciples that he's going to have to die, and he will be leaving them. Again, this is a man who's walked with them for three years, has taught them and, and tried to explain to them that he was ultimately going to have to die. They didn't get it. They didn't understand in the fullness of what Jesus was going to do. But Jesus, in explaining to them that they will never be alone, tries to provide for them some comfort. And I believe that the disciples, the apostles as we read in the book of Acts, the apostles get that. They understand this later. But let's go back and see what Jesus told them in John chapter 14. So John chapter 14, verse 15 says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him. For he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day you will know that I am in my Father and you in me and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my father. I will love him and manifest myself in him. So Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? And Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and he will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you, let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away, and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced, because I am going to the Father, and the Father is greater than I. 
And now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming, and he has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. The comfort of Jesus, ultimately telling the disciples, I'm going to die but I'm going to come back and you're going to see me. And then when I go to the father, I'm going to provide the comforter and he's going to dwell in you. The comfort of the Holy spirit has manifested itself in the church here. They continue to expand because not only do they have, are they walking in the fear of the Lord? They're walking in the comfort of the Holy spirit. How are you today? Are you walking in the comfort of yourself and your decisions, the decisions of the people around you? That's not real comforting, is it? Right? Let's be real. There's a lot going on. There's comfort that we can walk in, though, that God says he has already provided for those who love him. And so this comfort, I believe Dr. Luke is even referencing in some small way back to the book of Isaiah and Isaiah 57 verse 12. And so maybe you want to put this little note and you underline that word comfort and you put Isaiah 57 verse 12. Remember, all throughout these last couple chapters, there's been a reference back to Isaiah specifically. And so we see in Isaiah chapter 57, verse 12, it says this, I am he, this is the Lord speaking, I am he who comforts you. Who are you that you are afraid of man who dies, of the son of man who is made like grass? Do we have any reason to fear man or what man can do to us? Who's the one who can comfort us? Who's the one that you run to to provide comfort for your soul and for your heart and for your mind? There is one who has been provided for us. And we can choose in our selfishness and our, our own flesh and our own desires to find different ways and different means of comfort. But you will not experience the true comfort that God desires for you to have unless you look to Jesus. Unless you look to the spirit that indwells you if you are a believer. We have the wonderful privilege of walking in comfort. God's provided that for us. We can choose to walk in that. Saul says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. as He's opening this letter to the believers in Corinth. He writes this about comfort. I'll read to you verse 3. It won't be up there, but to give us context. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction. Does that leave anything out? All. All our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction 
with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, don't lose sight, living, trusting, obeying Jesus means that we will endure and have to endure sufferings. So in living this life, we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings. So through Christ, we share abundantly in comfort too. I don't know about you, but that takes a big weight off, doesn't it? I don't have to figure out all that needs to take place in this upcoming week. I can walk in the fear of the Lord, trusting that he is in control and in charge of all things, but I can also walk in comfort and the comfort of the spirit of God that lives and indwells inside of me. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, if you've trusted Jesus as your savior to forgive you of your sin, the spirit of God indwells in you. He wants to comfort you. He wants to walk with you and to help you through whatever life brings. Look to him. If you don't know Jesus as your savior, today's the day. You can trust him. He's worthy to be trusted. There is something that the world can't explain. See, to the Jews, Jesus is a stumbling block. To the rest of the world, Jesus, it just doesn't make sense. It's like something ridiculous. For those of us who know Jesus, we wouldn't change it for the world, would we? So let's continue to trust in him and walk with him. Would you pray with me? Lord, thank you. Thank you for how you use Saul in the real account of walking and navigating through sharing who Jesus really was, the son of God. And as he shared that, he came in opposition. And even though that opposition came, you used him and he continued to stay faithful in preaching and teaching the word of God. And we see the church was at peace. And that's only because of what you had done at that time. Lord, we can experience your peace today and we can continue to see the church expand as we walk in fearing you. Help us to do that, Lord. Help us to continually place you upon the throne of our lives. Help us to humble ourselves and to submit ourselves to your word and to your truth. Help us, Lord, to continue to walk in the comfort that you provide through your spirit that lives and dwells in us. Lord, some of us struggle with that comfort, and it may be because we're not walking with you. We're not spending time with you. We're not reading your word and we're not praying and we're not listening to what you have to tell us. And instead, we, we've lacked the fear. And so Lord, may we come this morning asking for your forgiveness, humbly laying down what we have done wrong and turning from that, repenting, Asking for your forgiveness, but then acknowledging that your spirit continues to reside in us. 
So help us to be still at times so that we may hear your still, small voice. In the commotion, in the craziness of our world, you've given us direction. Help us to live in it. Help us to walk in it. Thank you, Lord, for loving us. Thank you for giving us your son, Jesus. And I pray if there's someone here listening or who's seated here today who doesn't know Jesus, that right now they would trust Jesus. They would ask Jesus to forgive them of their sin, to come into their life and to be their Lord. They would believe that Jesus Christ died, was buried, and rose again three days later. Not just the head knowledge, but Lord, it would transform their life, their heart. Thank you for transforming mine, Lord. I don't deserve it, and yet you've offered your grace and forgiveness and love to me and to so many who sit here and listen here today. May we walk with you this week and the days ahead, Lord. Help us to be faithful. You are faithful, and we thank you for that. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Vince is going to play, and uh, just a time for you to think through and process what you've heard. And then after he's done, then I'll dismiss uh, from the back to the front. Thanks for being here today.